So if you have your Bibles, electronic devices, I would ask you just to click to or turn to with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. And so if you like to follow along, you can take your Bible or an app or your tablet or whatever, and you can click to or turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. And so as many of you know, we've been in this series called Happiness is a Serious Problem. And so we've been looking at this issue of happiness and what is happiness, how does the Bible define that? Uh, so that we can find fulfillment in life, so we can find happiness in life. And so this, this message this weekend is called Happiness Through Desperation. And so I want to talk to you about this issue of, 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 of fulfillment and what it means to be fulfilled and what it means to be happy and where to find that. And so Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the Beatitudes is like the preamble to that. It's like the introductory to the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. It wasn't one of those sermons that was like one and done, uh, that throughout his entire ministry he actually re-preached this in different ways or illustrated it in different ways so people could understand, because this really, the Sermon on the Mount is really how to live out the Christian life and how to flesh out the Christian life. And so you come to these Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes, all the Beatitudes start off the same way, blessed are, or happy are, or fulfilled are, or contentment are. And so I want to help you this morning understand what Jesus is talking about in this Beatitude that says happiness is found through desperation. So in a few minutes, I'm going to have three spiritual principles for you that I'd like to give to you. And then I'm going to end up with a very personal illustration out of my life and out of Karen's life and how this worked for us and maybe how this could, could help you bring some understanding to this. And so the Beatitude says this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, here's what it says. It said, blessed are, the hung, blessed are, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then here's the promise, for they will be filled. And so when you look at this issue, you realize that Jesus referred to, to hunger and thirst. And so those of you that have been around church any length of time, or if you've read, read Scripture, that you know John chapter 4, Jesus said, the woman at the well, Jacob's well, Jesus simply said that I am the living water, and whoever drinks of me, what, will never thirst again, or will be fulfilled, or find satisfaction, or contentment. Jesus is referring back to this beatitude. Fact is, if you travel to Israel, I was just there a couple of months ago, you can still go to Jacob's well where he had this conversation. You can still drink out of the water uh, at Jacob's well, even through COVID and not get sick and die. I mean, it's amazing that you can go there and you can, you can actually see Jacob's well. We were, we were just there. And so Jesus told the woman at the well, he said, I am the living water. Whoever thirst of me, who, whoever drinks of me will never thirst again. They'll find satisfaction. They'll find happiness. They'll find joy. And then you know other places in Scripture about hunger where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And, and he talked about that issue. So, so this is really hard for us as Americans to understand, right? Because we really don't know what it means to go without water, and we really don't know what it means to be hungry. We really don't know what it means not to have clean drinking water or food that's accessible for us. We don't really understand that, right? I mean, we can be eating one meal and talking about what we're going to have at the next meal, right? Every time I go back to Texas and take my mom to lunch, we're at lunch, and you know what we're talking about? The whole conversation is, what are we going to have for dinner? What are we going to eat for dinner? What are we going to have for breakfast? What are... And so our world revolves around this issue of food. Some of you this morning, you may have already discussed where you're going to eat for Father's Day and what are you going to eat and what are your favorite foods and what is your favorite meal and some of those other things. And so it's hard for us to understand 
understand this, but I also think of some of the places where I've traveled on mission trips, whether it's been to Mimbezi or Haiti or, 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 or Poland or Mexico, to where some places it really struggled with like clean water and, and, and food. I will never forget 10 years ago, we established the, min, the ministry in Mimbezi. And, um, and, and, and so there were, there were over 300 orphans that were displaced because of AIDS. And so there was a couple there, Alec and Vita, and they were doing the best they could to support these kids. And so we just simply 10 years ago came alongside of them, and the first thing that we did was to put in a water well so they would have clean water. They were actually walking over an hour one way daily just for clean water and to come back. And so we put in a water well, and then we, we put in a water well, we built a church, we put in a, a garden, and then we bought them a bunch of chickens and put in a chicken run so that the, the orphans could have food to eat and protein and some of those other things. And then pre-COVID, when we were there last, the tribal chief heard that we were there and came and asked us, said, said what would you do if I gave you 10 acres of land? I don't understand why a group of Americans would care for a, a group of people in Mimbezi, Africa. And so, so w- why did you do this? And so we answered that question. He said, well, what would you do if we gave you 10 acres of land? And so you, you know, we said, you know what? Our dream is, is to put in a fish farm so that they can raise fish, so they can have, have, have uh, protein. And so the tribal ch- chief looked at us and gave Fellowship of the Rockies 10 acres of land. So we now own 10 acres of land in Mimbezi. And so we are close to putting in a fish farm there so that the orphans can have food to eat. But see, we don't, we don't, it's hard for us to have a frame of reference what it means not to have accessible clean water or not, or, or we don't understand what it means not to have, have food. So you have to remember Jesus' context and the context that Jesus was, was in. And he was talking to a group of people who knew what it was like to go without food. And knew what it was like to go without water. I mean, they understood hunger. See, in, in their day, in their time, they weren't paid uh, at the end of every week. They weren't paid bi-monthly. They weren't paid monthly. They were paid daily. And so a man would work, and at the end of the day, he was paid one denarius. And so that's all he made. It was about a quarter in, in, in our money. And so if, if he did not work, he did not eat. If he did not eat, his family Uh, If he did not work, his family did not eat. And so they were always focused on this issue of clean water. They were always focused on this issue of food. And not only that, they were in a dry and arid and dusty land where there just wasn't a lot of water. And so they would have to plan out their day. It was a major part of their day to plan out where they were going to get water and how they were going to get water. And then when they traveled, their travel plans weren't gas stops like for us. Their travel plans were water stops because water meant everything to them. In other words, it was a daily discipline. And Jesus is trying to help us understand, just like for them, it was a daily discipline of water and food. For us, it is a daily discipline. Blessed is the man and blessed is the woman that hungers and thirsts after righteousness because the promise is they will be filled. In other words, what Jesus was saying that blessed is the person that comes to the place, just like someone could be desperate for food or desperate for that next drink of water, that they would be in desperation for me, in desperation with a relationship with Jesus Christ, and out of that desperation, they would be filled. And they would find happiness and peace and joy. So this morning, I just want to give you three simple principles as we try to unpack this. And then just a personal story about Karen and I's life and and how this fleshed out in in our life. And so the first principle is this. When we just look in life, fulfillment in life is desired by every person. 
Fulfillment in life, contentment in life, is desired by every person. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is where the title of this, this series came for, Happiness is a serious problem because everybody, it doesn't matter whether you're Christian or non-Christian. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter who you are. When you look at this issue, we all desire to be happy, right? We all desire in life to find fulfillment. We all desire to find joy. We all desire to find contentment. And so when you look at this, everybody in life wants satisfaction and everybody in life wants fulfillment. And people, what we know, will try to find joy and happiness in sometimes some unhealthy areas, right? And sometimes people will take artificial things, thinking that will bring them happiness, but they learn it's just artificial. There's an artificial in, in, ingredient, and we know this, right? There's some, there's some things that you can drink with artificial ingredients that, that really don't, they don't hydrate you. They can dehydrate you. They really don't fill you. They leave you empty, and you struggle as a result of that. And so a lot of people will try to find happiness into some unhealthy areas, and so when you look at this, everybody is hungry or thirsty, right? I mean, it doesn't matter. You can, you can eat lunch today, and you can eat a big meal, and guess what? By this evening, you're going to be hungry again. You can drink a full bottle of water now, and guess what? In a few hours, you're going to be thirsty again. And so you realize that, guess what? Everybody is hungry or thirsty. It's a daily discipline. It's just a discipline. But you can also see that, that we are all hungry emotionally. Christian or non, does not matter. We all desire relationships. We all desire relationships where we connect with one another because what the scripture tells us is this. We were created for relationships. We were created for a relationship with God. We were created for relationships with one another. And so all of us, it's just a human thing. We're human beings, right? It's a human thing. That we just want to connect with people. We are made for connection to where we find someone that knows us and understands us and loves us and cares for us and some of those other things. You, you can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, right? And the Bible says, it is not good for man to be alone. And all the ladies said, amen, right? I mean, you know that, right? It is not good for man not to have supervision. <laughs> Bad stuff happens when men do not have proper supervision. I mean, I'm reminded of that every time my wife leaves, leaves town and, and goes sees grandkids. She gives me instructions about the house and about this. And, and I'm like, and I get confused. And I said, please explain it to me like I'm five. That would help. And so, uh, and so she does that because there's things I don't understand, right? Um, I don't understand when, when, when you like make the bed and there's all these pillows that you can't use, right? I mean, I don't understand why you have pillows you can't lay on and that other stuff. And so I should have taken pictures, right, for when she comes back so I could put the pillows back in the right order. And so you know what I did this last time? I just stacked them all up like a pyramid, like a Jenga. And so, uh, and so but, but we know that, right? It is not good for man to be alone. Men need supervision. That's the first thing that, that God said. It is not good for man to be alone. So I will make a woman. I'll create a woman. So that there can be relationships, so there can be connections. So when you look at this, we all, listen, we all long. We all long for relationships. We want that connection. We want to be wanted. We want to be loved. We want to find that fulfillment. There, there was many years ago when social media was like created, right? And it was created with this fact that it will help people connect better to one another and build relationships and build this, this friendships and all of those other things. And you know what? All these years later, we know that was a bad idea. I mean, study after study after study shows that, guess what? It really doesn't help people connect together better. 
Fact is, it's become one of the most divisive things that we have, and it's dividing people. It's dividing a nation because people will text and people will type things into a keyboard that they wouldn't say face-to-face to someone when they're not able to see the hurt and the pain that that, st- that statement means to another. And you look at this. We've also proven out that, guess what? Online church will never replace face-to-face worship. That we were created, we were created for relationships. We were created to connect with one another. We are created to pray for another, encourage one another, support one another, love one another, accept one another, forgive one another. I mean, there's something about it's just powerful when you're in the room with other people, right? And you're worshiping and you're, and you're in unity and you're encouraging and supporting one another. I mean, we live, right? We're living in a personal world. And our world's getting even more and more impersonal. And here a while back when I, when I used to take the subscription to Newsweek magazine, I, I clipped this article out about this. And, and so I'll just, I'll just read this. I've had this for years. And it said, here's what it said. The Department of Social Services in Greenville County, South Carolina, sent the following letter to a deceased individual. Your food stamps will stop effective March because we have received notice that you passed away. May God bless you. You may reapply if there is a change in your circumstances. Really? <laughs> really? So it can, listen, it can be a really impersonable, impersonal world, right? And a lot of form letters. And, and here's, what I, here's what I really believe about the church and the local church. The churches that are going to thrive in the days ahead are going to be the churches that understand what it means to care for one another. Pastoral care, to understand the hurts, to understand the needs, so people understand they're not a number, but they're a person, and they're ministered to, and they're helped, and real community is built. Because we've come through a season to where we've learned, like, guess what? Nothing replaces face-to-face. Nothing replaces that bond that people get when they're in the same room. So the second, uh, and and then then the second thing is, is we're all spiritually hungry. I mean, you realize that we're all spiritually hungry. I mean, you you can go all the way back to Ecclesiastes and we'll look at Ecclesiastes and, and, but but Solomon made this statement that basically that God has created us with a God-shaped vacuum that only he can fill. And so philosophers, you know, present-day philosophers and others, C.S. Lewis and some of the others have said that that we have been created with a God-shaped vacuum, and they've done a lot of work on that. And the reason is is so that we would desire desire God, and we'd desire to connect with him. And that's what Jesus is saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What? So they will be filled. And so we have been created with this God-shaped vacuum so that we would reach out to God. And here's the interesting thing about that. Do you realize there's never been a civilization that was discovered that did not have some form of worship attached to that civilization? And the answer, and so the, the answer to that is, and the reason for that is this, is that everybody's been created with this God-shaped vacuum that we desire to connect with a God. And we desire to connect with, with something that is just spiritual, and we long for that touch from him. And, and, and can, is he real, and can he touch my life? And, and one, of my, one of my favorite rock ballads, and I've told you that, you know, I'm a classic rock guy. I'm not a country and western guy, and, and I know I shouldn't even bring that up because that seems like one of the most controversial things I've ever said here. <laughs> and... Uh, I just want to, I don't want to, anyway, I need to move on. Let's just stick with this, okay? I don't want to end up in any more trouble. And so, uh, but go ahead and send you me, me your country and western songs, but I'm not going to change. And so, uh, so there was this rocker guy, 
uh, from the 70s. His name was Dennis D. Young. And Dennis D. Young was part of a religion. He didn't have a relationship with Christ. He's part of a religion. And that religion left this man just empty and disillusioned. In 1990, Dennis D. Young writes this rock ballad because he wanted to communicate some of his frustrations to his son. And the rock band of the 70s, Sticks, picked it up, and they released it in 1990. The name of the song is Show Me the Way. And I just wrote down the lyrics. Here's, here's the lyrics. I just want you, to, I want you to hear him because all of us have this spiritual hunger for him. And this is what he writes. Every night I say a prayer in the hope that there is a heaven. But every day I'm more and more confused as the saints turn into sinners. All the heroes and legends I knew as a child have fallen to idols of clay. And I feel this empty place inside so afraid that I've lost my faith. Show me the way. Show me the way. Take me tonight to the river. Wash my illusions away. Please, will somebody show me the way? And every time I hear that song, I have the same re reaction. Jesus is the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody, nobody comes to the Father except through me. And religion will always leave you with guilt. And religion, trying to work your way to heaven and work your way to God, it will always leave yourself, yourself with guilt. It will always leave you empty inside because there's just no way you can do enough. So the second spiritual truth is this, is fulfillment in life will not be found by everyone. That's where this title, this message came, happiness is a serious problem. And the way people try to find happiness in life and fulfillment in life outside of the scriptures, outside of the teachings of Christ, will always leave them feeling empty, will always leave them with stuff behind. And when you look at this issue, you realize the fulfillment unfortunately, will not be found by everyone. And we have to go back all the way back to the book Ecclesiastes. And so it's written by Solomon. And Solomon was this guy. And when you read Ecclesiastes, listen, like two-thirds of the book is really depressing. And then the last third of the book is really exciting. See, the two-thirds of the book, it's really a journey in Solomon's life of trying to find fulfillment. And he tried to find fulfillment two-thirds of the book. And that's why when you have to understand this, when you read it under the sun, it's life without God. And he tried to find fulfillment in every way that he could without God. And he realized that it just left him empty. Then all of a sudden, the last part of the book, he realizes, guess what? Fulfillment is only found in God. And there's several ways that he tried to find fulfillment in life. And the first thing he says, you know what? I'll, I'll find fulfillment through education. I'll just become one of the smartest, wisest people uh, in, our, in our land. And, and he did. And so he read a bunch of books, and he went to school, and he makes this statement. He says, you know what? I found that education at the end of the day just left me feeling empty. It did not fulfill me. All of those books just left me confused and weary. And so he said, you know what? I'm going to try to find fulfillment with a career. And so he set some career goals and said, if I obtain this, I obtain this, and I'll obtain this. And he had a checklist. And he says, then I'll find satisfaction, then I'll find fulfillment, and then I'll find happiness. And Solomon was this guy that checked off every one of those goals. And at the end of the day, you know what he said? He said, I found that it was fleeting. I found that it was empty. It may have satisfied for a while, but it was just artificial. It was just temporary. But it did not fulfill me. It did not bring me the happiness, satisfaction, the joy that I was looking for. So Solomon says, well, I know what? It has to be in money. And so I'll just become one of the wealthiest men of our time. And he was. He had more money than he knew what to do with. And Solomon said, at the end of the day, you know what I realized? Happiness didn't bring me money. Uh, didn't bring me joy. Money did not bring me happiness. And money did not bring me joy. It, was, it just left me empty. 
And in some ways, it brought me a little bit of anger because I thought, if I obtain all this, then I'll be happy. And I wasn't. And so then he says, well, you know what it has to be? It has to be popularity. And he had, he had the wealth, and he was able, he partied like a rock star. Solomon writes, there was a lot of drinking and dancing and celebration, but at the end of the day, you know what? It left me with a bunch of broken relationships. It left me empty inside in the superficial life. Solomon learned what the world was telling him about all these artificial things that could bring satisfaction, happiness, and your joy in your life was, was artificial. It was a lie. He said, there was a hunger inside of me that I cannot figure out how to satisfy it apart, the last part of Ecclesiastes, apart from a life with God. Have you ever hungered for something and you didn't know what you were hungry for? That ever happened to you? It's happened to me where I've gone to the refrigerator, right? Opened up both doors, and I mean, it is lined, I mean, it is lined up with food. There is food everywhere. And I'm in there, and I'm staring at the refrigerator, and Karen's like, what are you doing? You're letting all the cold air out. And I'm like, I'm hungry, but I don't know what I'm hungry for. Jesus said, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman that hungers and thirsts for righteousness and desperation for it. Because then he gives a promise, for they will be filled. They will find happiness. They will find contentment. They will find joy. You see that Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. There's a couple of words in there, a couple, a word and a phrase that we need to understand. Righteousness, a lot of times we don't understand that word because it's a church word, and we're like, well, what is that? What does that mean? And then that phrase, for they will be filled, that's the promise. Now, some of your translations are going to say satisfied. Uh, some of your translations will say very satisfied. And so when you look at this, you realize that, that, that their fulfillment is found with a life in Christ. And, but you have to hunger and you have to thirst or you have to be like desperate for it to, to receive is what the scripture says. And so when you look at this, you've got to ask yourself, what in the world is righteousness? Because that's just a church world word that a lot of times we don't, we, don't, we don't explain out. And so I'd like to just give you a few things about righteousness. So, so righteousness is, is, like, is a relationship. Uh, Romans chapter 117 says, For, in, the, for in, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. And so this is amazing because what the scripture said, what Romans is saying is this, is that guess what? You don't make yourself right. God makes you right. You know what religion tells you? Religion tells you you make yourself right by doing these things. The scripture actually tells you the, 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 the opposite. Religion is simply this. It's simply man trying to work their, their way up to God. Christianity, it's a relationship, simply means this. God comes down to man, and God came down to man in the form of Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, which was without sin, and went to the cross, it took on our sin, went to the cross, and died, and buried, and was resurrected, and through that, we can have salvation. So, so it is him that makes us right. And so righteousness is also, when you look at the scriptures, is also a, a lifestyle. It's just, it's just a lifestyle. And when it's a lifestyle, it's where, it's where spiritual disciplines happen, to where you pray and to where you read Scripture and you, you, you study the Scriptures and you open up the Scriptures. And listen, let me just tell you this. 
Jesus is talking about this issue of desire. When you come to the place where you're desperate for it, and it's desire, can I just tell you this? Just so you know, if spiritual disciplines is a duty to you, it will never last. If it's just something that you think you're supposed to do to try to work your way up to God, and it's just a duty to you, then guess what? You may start reading scriptures, but it will never last. You may start praying, but it will never last. Because this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, in me, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, oh, it is not a duty. It is a desire. It is not a duty. It is delight. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness to this point, then all of a sudden opening up the scriptures and applying it to your life is no longer a duty, no longer something that you have to do just because some preacher stood up in front of you and said you should read your Bible every day or because you had a spouse that said you need to read your Bible. It all of a sudden, something happened inside, and you were desperate. You were desperate for a word from him. You were desperate for a scripture. 1 John 2, 29 says, If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So all of a sudden, you realize it is a transformation that happens. It is a change that happens in your life. Proverbs 12, 28 says, There, there is in life in the path of righteousness... And in its path, there is no death. So what does that mean? It means that when you were disconnected from God, you were not really living. You're just existing. Most people in the world, I'm just telling you, and you already know this. Most people in the world are really not living with passion and happiness and joy. You know what they're doing? They're existing. And they're just hoping they can make it to the weekend. And just get through another week. For me, it doesn't really make sense living a life disconnected from a holy God that can give you happiness, joy, and fulfillment in life. See, this was Dennis DeYoung's problem. He didn't have a relationship with, with Jesus. He thought it was out of duty, and he thought it was out of just these religious things that you do. And he thought that, that he had found it in religion, but religion, and many of us know that, right? Religion, if you've ever been involved in that, it just leaves you with guilt. It just leaves you with this feeling that no matter what, I'll never be able to, to, to do enough. And listen, let me tell you something. God is not going to force you into a relationship with him. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. We were created for a relationship, and in that, we, it, we have a choice and we have a responsibility. We can choose the people that we come in relationship with in this, in this life, but we also get to choose our relationship with him. And God gives you a choice. And for me, it just doesn't make sense. Why would anyone want to live a life disconnected with a, from a holy God? The only one that can give them joy, that can give them purpose and meaning in life so that they're no longer existing, but they have, they have joy and they have passion for life. And then the third and the last principle is just simply this. Fulfillment in life is found when we are filled by Jesus Christ. Uh, fulfillment in life is found, this is what Jesus said, when we're filled with Christ, blessed are the those that hunger and thirst after me, after righteousness, for guess what, for they will be filled. There's a lady, she's a PhD theologian that I read from often, her name is, is, uh, is Ruth Halley Barton. Here's what she writes about that desire and duty, here's what she writes. Your desire for God is the truest and most essential thing about you. But there is even a greater truth. Before you were aware of your desire for God, God desired you. 
If you do not know that this morning, God desires to have a relationship with you. Even before you desired to have a relationship with him, guess what? Before the creation of the world, the foundations of the world, God desired to have a relationship with you. Scripture says, while we were still sinners, God sent his son to die for us. Why? So that we could have a relationship with him. And so when you look at this issue, I can't make myself righteous and you can't make yourself righteous. Why? Because we're all imperfect people. None of us in this room, right? None of us in this room are perfect. Not a one of us. That we're all imperfect people. We've all sinned. And, and you know what? Sometimes I don't even measure up to my standards, much less God's standards. And none of us, because we're imperfect individuals, can make ourselves righteous. But guess what? Only he can, Romans 3.20 for no one will be justified in, in his sight by the works of the law. Because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. And so Jesus helps us to understand that, guess what? That because of that, he came to this earth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father through him. And he came to this earth. Three and a half years ministry. Lived a perfect, sinless life. Went to the cross. Took on our sins. He was crucified. He shed his blood for us for the forgiveness of our sins. On the third day, he rose again and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And when we accept that, guess what? We have the righteousness of Christ. Our sins are totally and completely uh, forgiven, and we have his righteousness. When you, when you study Christianity and you study every other view of philosophy or religion, you, you realize there's just a couple of words that separate us. Every Every other religion or, or philosophy can be su summed up with one word, do. This is what you have to do to work your way to him. Duty. This is what you have to do. And so when you look at and you study these different religions and you study these different philosophies, you realize they all have their different do list, right? Some say you have to do this, and some say you have to do this. And, and what Dennis DeYoung found is they all left him feeling empty. But Christianity can be summed up with a different word, done. What Christ has done for you and what Christ has done for me on the cross, that he went to the cross on our behalf, he took on our sins, and he shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And when we accept that, we have the forgiveness of sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And as a result of that, we cannot make ourselves right, but it is his blood, his forgiveness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you study the Old Testament, you know it, had an, it was built on an entire sacrificial system with a, with, a, with, a, with a sacrificial lamb or the scapegoat, and it would, it would die or be sacrificed for the sins of the nation. And that would be a symbol of what one day the Messiah, what one day Jesus would do for us. And Titus 3, 4, and 5 says, But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, his love for you. He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we have done. You can't work your way to him. But according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, And that is good news, that we can't make ourselves right, but guess what? He can.
by his blood that was shed for us on a cross. There's a, there's a, there, there's a verse in, in Jeremiah chapter 29. It's verses 13 and 14. And I always think of my story and I think of my wife's story, Karen. And, and I want to share that with you as we close. And then I have one more scripture. But here's what Jeremiah 29, 13 and 14 says. And, and I don't know if I've ever shared this publicly in a worship service. I know I've shared it at Discover Fellowship. But um, here's what it says. It says, you will seek me. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Desperation. I am so desperate for you just like I am for water or for food. And I will be found in you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. And this is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. First my story, then Karen's story. We both met Christ within about a year of, of one another. I, I wasn't raised in a, in, in a Christian home, really. I mean, I was raised in the South, and so in the South, in the Bible Belt, we were cultural Christians. I mean, I mean in, in the South, you better have a church that you can say you went to, and it's just you better be able to say you're a Christian. And so it's just cultural Christianity where I was from. And so whenever we would move to a new community, the first thing that we'd do would just go to a church. We never went back, but we just went to the church. So if I said, hey, someone said, hey, where do you go to church? We'd just tell them. And so that, that was our golden pass uh, culturally in that area. When I was in high school, I was, I was 16, I was making some really bad decisions, and my, my, my mom and dad would worry. They were now worried where I'd spend eternity because I think they were thinking it might come pretty soon with the decisions that he's making. And so uh, they told us one, one Saturday night, hey, tomorrow we're going to church. And we're going to a Baptist church. And because they, they, my mom had Baptists in her background, she says, we're going to go to a Baptist church, and you kids are going to get baptized. And so at the end of the service, the pastor's going to do an altar call. You're going to walk down. There's going to be some deacons down there. You're going to fill out a card. You're going to tell them you made a profession of faith, and you want to get baptized. And they're going to dunk you that night, and we'll be good to go. And so my sister and I, we waited. I mean, that's the only reason we went there that day. Waited for that time. We went down. We, got back. We, we made the decision and told them we made the decision. We signed the card that night. You know what? They, they dunked us, and we came back up. And guess what? My family never went back to church. And the problem with that, my life didn't change. I was still doing the stupid stuff on Friday and Saturday night after I was baptized that I was doing before I got baptized. There was no change. There was no, it was just duty. It was just trying to earn your way to heaven. And then when I was in my 20s, I'm in college, and my life literally fell apart. And all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I became desperate for, I, I just became desperate for him. And I was fortunate that I had an aunt and uncle that were like the believers of the family. And so they invited me, and I went to church, and it was there. I walked into a church, and I was so desperate for him, I accepted him. And that's when my life began to transform. That's when my life began. It is slowly, I began giving up friends and getting new friends and a healthier lifestyle and instead of an unhealthy lifestyle. And there, there was this change that just happened in my life. My wife, Karen, she was raised in Niagara Falls, New York. Her family was Catholic, but they only went to a Catholic church Christmas and, and Easter. And so she moved to Houston, Texas for a job. And so she got to that point where she was desperate. And so she did what only she knew to do. She says, I'm going to, I'm going to Mass. I'm going to Catholic Church. On the way to Mass on a Saturday night, Saturday, she said, Lord, if you're real, I just got to know. 
if you're real, I need you just to reveal yourself to me. Remember, Jeremiah, you will find me when you seek me, what? With all your heart and desperation. And so Karen sat through Mass after the pastor's or priest homily. He, got, he, he said something, and he, and he prefaced it with, Hey, listen, I've never done this in Catholic Church before, and I might get in a lot of trouble for this. But if you're here tonight, and you want to know if God's real, and you're asking God to reveal himself to you, then I need you to get up right now, make your way down to the altar. If you'll kneel here, I will give you private communion and we'll pray that God will reveal himself to you. Karen was the only one in that church that responded to that. and She went down and knelt and he gave her communion. Monday morning, Karen goes to work just like she had always done. And this lady, friend of mine, Madeline Weatherall, worked with Karen. Madeline walks up. Madeline had no idea what happened in Catholic church and what was going on in Karen's life. Madeline walks up to Karen and says, Hey, Karen, I don't know if you're interested, but on Wednesdays, there's a group of us ladies, and we're going to start doing a ladies' Bible study in the conference room Wednesday at lunch. Just bring your lunch and your Bible. And Karen's like, Well, I don't have a Bible. She says, No worries. We'll buy you a Bible. We'll have a Bible waiting for you. And so Karen started going to that Wednesday night Bible study. She was also a little freaked out that it's like God is like revealing himself to her. And then soon after that, Madeline would invite Karen to our church, and then Madeline is the one that introduced Karen and I together. And that's how we met. That's how we met. And we met Christ within about a year of one another. I don't know your story. I don't know your story. And you may have been following him out of duty and just done some religious things and thought you were good to go. And you may have never come to that place where you're just desperate for him. John 3.16 says this. It's just one of my favorite verses. It says, For God so loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes comes desperate for me. In him will not perish, but have eternal life. Today, if you need to accept him, you accept him. If you've never, I'm telling you, if you've never come to that place to where you're just desperate for him. He will reveal himself to you. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?